Hello, and welcome to Speaking of Conversations on Voice, Speech, and Identity with me, Ryan O'Shea. Each episode, I'm talking with a guest who has a real question about voice, speech, or presence. Then I'm guiding them through concepts and exercises to help them and you understand a bit more about their question. This episode, I'm breaking that format slightly because I'm actually joined by another teacher, my friend Scott Ferrara. Scott is also a certified teacher of Fitzmorris voice work, and he has years of experience performing and teaching classical texts like Shakespeare. If you listened to the mailbag episode from a few weeks ago, you heard me talking about my thoughts on quote, Shakespeare voice. And since Scott really specializes in both Shakespeare and performance and voice, I invited him on to share a bit of his experience in how to help actors find their way out of Shakespeare voice. So here we go. Okay. Hello. Hello. We're doing it. We are. Okay, Scott. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really excited to have you here. You're my first teacher. Well, you're not my first teacher, but you're the first fellow teacher that I'm having on the podcast. So I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, it feels (sighs) really exciting to uh, share some wisdom and some questions yeah definitely and and certainly some not knowing (laughs) together oh yeah we're good at that we're very good at that yes Yes. yeah yeah so tell us a little bit about yourself well um (laughs) my name is scott ferrara i um i'm really glad i've been pronouncing your last name correctly yeah there's there's many different many different interpretations of it none of which i've i've really stopped but yeah ferrara's ferrara Ferrara. um (laughs) yeah i um boy we met i'm Mm -hmm. gonna start with that yeah because i think that actually influences a lot of of, just because i'm inspired to say that we met three and a half years ago Uh through a brilliant Saul. Yes. Uh, and um, I have since that time been certified yeah. in Fitzmaurice voice work. Yes. And have spent, um, yeah, a really beautiful three and a half years of investigating that work, which yeah. has been just super exciting. Before that, I spent most of my 20s and 30s as a classical actor. Yeah. So I would say 90% of my work came from. Yeah, Shakespeare, Shaw, Sheridan, um, the dead white guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, a lot of that. And um, yeah, and then before that, um, went to grad school in San Diego at the Globe Program. Oh, nice. So I was, uh, I was 21 years old. Oh, wow. I was really, really young. Really young. In and grad school. In grad school. Yeah, wow. actually I was finishing my undergrad as I was, because I knew I wanted to be there. Yeah. So I... Yeah, it was kind of crazy. Um, and then before that, and this is interesting. I'm, I'm going backwards in time <laughs> rather than before that. Um, actually, my mother is an English teacher, oh, okay. which is where I got my first, I think, inspiration of Shakespeare nice. and language yeah. and being dyslexic. Oh, okay. It was the first of any sort of written words that actually made me feel inspired and made oh, me feel wow. yeah. safe because there was only 
you know, on average, 10, 11, 12 syllables per line. And so yeah. to have the first letter capitalized, it's like, oh my God, I can breathe. Yeah. I can actually see this. So oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. I feel like the, uh, maybe even here, there's a conversation there, but tools for working with scripts, text, with yeah. with dyslexia yeah yes very much so actually and i'm 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 uh, i i did something unique in our cert we did a um teacher practice and the way that i write um my index cards i actually differentiate the vowels and consonants by different colors oh, okay and uh, one of the students who was a fellow cert uh -huh. was so excited when she saw it because it it, it was easy for her. It was easy on her eyes and it gave her a little bit of a, an instant connection to the yeah. words rather than I'm seeing a Shakespeare word. It was, it was broken up so that it was a little bit more digestible. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'd heard of, um, of having options of things like when I'm giving handouts to have different colors as options that that helps. Indeed it does. Um, Anyway, we're going into a neurodiversity oh, conversation. Yes, I but, know. No, it's <laughs> Pull because back. I'm Pull excited. Back. <laughs> but the reason that you're here specifically yeah. is because in a couple episodes ago, in the middle of talking about Shakespeare and how actors should work with Shakespeare, I started to go, I don't know. Or it's been so long since I studied this, and it's very much not been yeah. part of my journey. I've done two productions in my life of Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, in the midst of speaking, I was thinking, I really wish Scott were here to answer this question or <laughs> Scott is going to hear this and go, damn it, Ryan. <laughs> but actually, I, yes. And I was in the middle of doing laundry <laughs> and I was so excited to hear it and also excited to hear you and Cam. Yes. In your just beautiful witty banter. It was oh, well. just, it was, it was, it was the opposite of what, what that was. But yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, and I thought, oh, well, I would love to offer. So glad. Offer yeah. My observations as yeah. well. So what were really, I think the main focus or the main question that's guiding today's conversation yeah. is what is Shakespeare's voice or what is a quote Shakespeare voice? Yeah. It's interesting. I, I have a lot of students who feel more comfortable initially using maybe a little bit more articulation or a little bit um, what feels like slightly British. Yeah. And I very rarely, especially in the first couple days or weeks, adjust that. Yeah. But I find that there is a bit of comfort in that. And so I, from our, our work in Fitzmorris, I want to make sure that that's nurtured. But at the same yeah. time, if it is the only option that someone uses, yeah, it can be a little tricky. Where do you think that comfort comes from? I think because, hmm, that's a good question. I think because if you are someone who has heard it mainly from the Brits, yeah, and that that is the the pinnacle, if you will, mm. of what it's supposed to sound like, yeah, there is a sort of honoring of that in a way, yeah. And it's interesting, you know, I, I've had the opportunity since past to do 
uh, a couple different workshops with people from the RSC. Uh-huh. Royal and Shakespeare Company. The Royal yep. Shakespeare Company, yes. And whether it's, you know, Andrew Wade, who I've had the opportunity to do lengthy um, works with, they're always the first to say that it's the original pronunciation is much closer to ours mm-hmm. than than the Brits. Yeah. And so I always try to remind people early on that, yes, there's multiple ways of interpreting it, but in terms of the sound quality or that I'm trying to match something that may not be the best way, at least initially, to find that voice. So what I tend to do is, besides reminding that that area, is to get back to our connection to words. And a lot of people have very adversarial relationship mm. to language, to words. Yeah. One of the questions that I always ask is, do you trust words when they're spoken to you or when you speak them yourself? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes there is, and I mean, in the political climate right now, yeah, it's, it's a really slippery slope. Yeah. When you are in front of someone, do you actually believe what they're saying. Yeah. And to to think back to a, a time in Shakespeare's day when they would say, do you want to go hear a play? Not do you want to go see something? Oh, yeah. Because their, their connection to language was so... Oral. Oral. And, yeah. and, and oral is, as we know with Fitzmaurice and with any voice work that vibration it's felt yeah it's felt it's a felt sense of language yeah and so my interest is always to go what is your relationship with language right now and what words and what what things bring you joy in terms of actually speaking a word or a phrase and getting that orientation i find to be super helpful because there's then a very seamless transition to certain kinds of Shakespearean text. Yeah. Maybe not the later plays. Yeah. But maybe it's R and J. You know, maybe it's the the ones that are very easy in terms of the rhythm. You know, it's a very regular play. A lot of it is 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 an iambic pentameter, which you covered beautifully. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm cringing going. Yes. <laughs> no, you covered it beautifully. Um, but just to step back and look at the word love mm. and to look at the word hate yeah. and to really examine that. Ooh, like, so numbers. what do I personally, when I hear or say the word love, mm-hmm. what, what resonates with me about that word? Absolutely. Ooh, yeah. And hate. And hate. And yeah. we, we toss it off. Like you know, occasionally people, it's like tissues, you know, yeah. Oh, I love this or I hate this. Yeah. But if we were to think back to when we were 14, 15, 16, yeah, and discovering and, that, that we could say this. And how that felt, which is yeah. what these these people are doing. Yeah. And to actually feel it and think and experiencing in the moment, which is what's so gorgeous about Shakespeare, yeah. is that these words are meant to be, you're breathing life to them in the moment. It's not behind or ahead. It's beautiful yeah. presence work, if yeah, you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to imagine, yeah, I'm... I'm actually, as I say in the first days of classes, imagine if you have loved someone or if you've actually, whether it's a partner or wife or lover, and those first moment, that first moment that you say, I love you, Mm. and what that feels like, what that word, and then to see it land on someone else and to see their face absorb it, and then for them to possibly say, 
there's a pause and to live in that pause and to feel the words coming back to you that that's really the excitement of language. And so if we look at it from maybe self first rather than the external, I don't want to negate that. Yes, we want to have precision with, with a language, but getting that excitement back, getting that interest and curiosity back to to words is is my starting place for finding your own Shakespeare voice. Yeah. I also I really love what you said though that your approach is distinctly not to go you're doing this voice let's strip that away right now let's just do the felt language part of things. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about why that is. What is the benefit of letting people hang out with Hmm. habits that maybe we don't want that to be the final product, but that it can be a useful part of process. I think for me, what I have found, and I really learned it through the training of Fitzmorris, yeah. is people want to be, I'm hearing the sweet, <laughs> yes. sweet dog, my sweet dog out in the hall. Yes. Oh, um, <laughs> And talking, it's just interesting because it's presence work. It's uh-huh. just, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, there's this longing yeah. to want to come in. Yes. Um, but I think there's a, I think we as individuals, as actors, as human beings want to be heard. Yeah. And we want to be experienced and we want to be felt without judgment and without criticism of right or wrong, just to go, I hear you. Yeah. And so... If we can separate that from I hear you and also I want as many colors, I want as many options, I want as many things to explore, I feel like there's there's a need in me to allow and it's maybe I'm I maybe I step a little too far into letting it go two or three more sessions. Maybe it's possible. But I'm always interested in in when I offer a question about that experience of what that might be, oftentimes the person who I'm working with automatically shifts in new vocal variety and new vocal connection in the explanation and the the exuberance of what they just did. And so if I can bring it back to this new moment, there's there's a beautiful continuity of going, can we bring some of this as well and add it to this? Richard Easton, who is a brilliant actor and mentor, he's, was in the program. He was um, our mentor. He was probably in his late 60s. I think he's now in his late 80s. He's, he won the Tony. <laughs> and um, he would always say to us to never throw away anything, always add. Mm, and yeah. there, there was something to that, that whenever I would get a direction, you know, that I felt that, oh, that's... Uh, he would always say, "Don't you don't have to let go of anything, Scott. Just add to what you're already doing. And I feel like that's part of this is, is to say, I see this, let's add something. But I think it's important also to acknowledge it as something that's, that's valuable rather than my orientation is, I see what you're doing. That's not going to be helpful for us right now. Yeah. I think it's also what resonates with me in that and Obviously, my question is a little bit leading because we we believe similar things, I right? Know. But but I think it's also so relevant and important to hear when 
oftentimes there is an expectation or a desire from people to want to know, just tell me what to do. Yes. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And some people, maybe it is that simple. Oh, you don't want me to do that voice? I should do this voice instead. End of story, right? For most people, just shifting to a, a new way might be you're actually developing another unuseful habit. And so the nature of being process-oriented instead of product-oriented means that sometimes we have to hang out with habits that are unuseful because then we can get to the source of, yeah, but why is that impulse there? And where, what truth exists in that impulse that maybe I do want to hang on to it's just that my sense of why it's there might want to shift. Yes. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the thing that I'm also that also comes to mind, especially you you bringing up, I had never it had never occurred to me that well, it's the British sound, and most of the time we think of British people doing Shakespeare. There's also the word prestige comes to mind that there is, if I am doing Shakespeare, then there is a level of achievement that I have as an actor. There is a level of training that I have as an actor. There, It feels like Shakespeare itself has this kind of aura of prestige around it. And, and this is something that we, we talk about a lot in Knight Thompson's speech work, but what is the prestige accent of a particular place? And, and prestige does not always mean that you are speaking like this, right? If I spoke that way in some communities, I would sound like an asshole. I would argue that I would sound like an asshole in my community, right? Uh, yes, yes, yes. But what are your what are your thoughts around this idea of prestige and how that that affects? I think not only how people perform, but who thinks that they're allowed to perform Shakespeare. Yeah, it's so interesting. That's such an interesting question, and I just love the way that you framed it because it's. It's so true. There feels like there's a chasm between these words and myself. And how do I, how do I get there? And because they're, they've been leaned on and chewed and investigated for hundreds of years, in my mind, I think of it as something that is for everyone. Yeah. I think of them as, as like the, everyone's words. Yeah. But I can completely see if you are, and many people, as I ask in in the first class, what your relationship is to Shakespeare. And many people had English teachers or it was brought up and my mom's an English teacher. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I love English teachers. Of course. <laughs> if there's yeah. anyone listening. Um, <laughs> I love you, mom. Um, <laughs> but if it is offered as literature, and if it's offered as there's this, this weight of it, rather than it's meant to be <laughs> played with and and explored, and there are, yes, there are certain things that you can lean into more. But if my first step is fear, if my first step is this isn't for me, yeah, it is. I'm. 
I feel for the, for those students. And in fact, one of the things that I do ask is when people have that reaction, which is, this isn't for me. Yeah. Um, or I hate this. Yeah. This is, uh, this is, yeah, this isn't for me. Oftentimes I go, actually, just so you know, because you had such a strong reaction and because you articulated it so beautifully, that's kind of Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just so you know. And it's interesting. There's usually a slight head tilt of like, wait, like, no, because you're, you're connected to what you're saying and thinking and feeling right now. Mm. And we're connected right now. And I'm not here to convince you that this is the most amazing thing in the world. I'm saying this is a vehicle for you as a human being to express yourself in words that you get to in those, those brief moments in our lives when everything becomes heightened. Yeah. It's like breaking out to music, like yeah, a musical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like well, all of a sudden I can't, I've got to sing it. <laughs> yeah. It's the same thing. You're in a breakup and all of a sudden this aria comes out. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking and tears and snots coming out, but you're going, I feel so alive right now. Yeah. Or you're on vacation and you're seeing a sunset and all of a sudden you go, how beautiful is this? And you feel like you're in a movie because the words are just, everything's in sync. I'm like, yeah. imagine picking up a play and you get to to do that. So it is, it is there. And it also, because, and this is something as a dyslexic, I really have to fight to investigate these, these words that many of which people, I have no idea what this word means. Yeah. And I often say, I have to spend on average seven or eight hours on a sonnet looking up words. So in other words, you are not, there is no expectation of you look at this material and go, oh yeah, I get it. And in fact, that's part of the joy of going <laughs> as a toddler points and goes, what's that? Oh yeah. That's the, well, that's, that's a lamp. Lamp. It's the same thing. You get to look it up and in, instead of it being just one, which I love about Shakespeare, there's like 10 definitions. It makes me think, and I, I'm I clearly, I'm projecting my own experience, but I I know that for myself as a student, my whole life, <laughs> I have felt very grounded and safe in the moments of, I know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Like that is a safe place for me, which is even like going, realizing in the midst of talking about iambic pentameter, I don't exactly remember what it is that that is, right? That there is still these moments of feeling this fear of judgment. I don't, it doesn't always feel like shame, though there are gradations of that, yeah. that if I don't know, then I will be found out as a fraud or you don't belong here. Everybody else understands what this is. Right. So I could see how for a lot of people with the language being foreign in a lot of ways that it could feel like, well, this isn't for me because I don't understand what this means. Therefore, it must not be. It must only be for the people who can immediately understand that. And you're saying that is not the no, case. No. And in fact, there's, um, I, I was talking to Andrew Wade about, oh gosh, it was a, a while ago now. It's probably two years ago. And we were having coffee and he was mentioning that he was at, um, I think he was teaching something at RADA and he ran into Patsy Rodenberg. Yeah. And he said something about, oh yeah. And Patsy was there. She was working with Judy about da-da-da-da. <laughs> Judy Dench. <laughs> yeah. 
And I went, wait, 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 what? She goes, oh yeah, no, they, whenever she gets a role, she goes back and, and works on. She still does. That's incredible. And, and that's the thing that I, my first thing was she still does. Still. Rather than thinking of it like, wait, but you get to. Yeah. I have a role now and oh. I get to collaborate with someone and I get to investigate and go, I don't have, I'm Dame Judy Dench and I, I still want to go back to my teachers. I still yeah. want to go back to the words. I still want to go back to going, I don't know what this is because I'm different now. Yeah. And that's what's sort of beautiful about every time I go back to a piece or I hear a new student bring a piece to me, it's never, well, this is how it should be done or this is what this word means. It's how are you going to interpret this? Yeah. And so if we start out as a group with a sonnet as we tend to do, and we all look up the words together and we all go, what is this? Oh, this brings this memory to me or this image to me. And we start with all the different channels of yeah. orientation. We start to think about how these words affect us. There becomes a, an excitement around investigating language yeah. rather than it being something that is impervious or impersonal or something that is not something that is part of my experience. And I think the more that we, and we can do as a group, we can do individually. And when you do that, when you step out on stage, what you're doing is you're inviting the audience to join you in that investigation. Because mm -hmm. when Shakespeare becomes, to me, not as interesting, I'm not going to say it's uninteresting, but yeah. not as interesting as when someone has a very specific, clear, only one interpretation, and you articulated that beautifully in the, in the, in the previous podcast, but I'm only giving one channel for the audience to hear. Yeah. And if you open up to all of the possibilities of language, it's like offering, you know, Skittles, the, the you know, <laughs> tasting the rainbow of all the different colors rather than just you're going to hear blue yeah. because it's, it means blue. And uh -huh. so as an audience member, I go, okay, I got it, blue. I remember when I was an undergrad reading Peter Brooks' The Empty Space. And I don't remember anything about it except one of the chapters, the the whole premise of the chapter was basically if you see a production of something and it doesn't resonate with you, that's okay. That it's really on the director, actors, etc. to bring something to life. And if it doesn't resonate with an audience, that's more on you as the as the creators and i remember feeling such freedom in that because my relationship to shakespeare at that point was i have only seen terrible productions i have seen really well-intentioned but bad high school productions of i remember calling much ado about nothing much ado about sucking because it was the worst thing i had ever seen but again like high schoolers so you can't blame them too much but feeling like either it felt like oh these people are trying but it's terrible or this feels like something that is so beyond what i care about that it feels like I'm detached from it. And I'm, I'm like a middle-class white person, you know? So I think I'm probably even more theater kid even. So I probably feel more included in the Shakespeare world than a lot of people do, whether that's warranted or not. Yeah. But I remember with the Peter Brook thing going, 
oh, it's just that I've been seeing so much shitty theater. It's not that Shakespeare in and of itself is terrible. It's that there's so many bad versions of it, probably because they're doing the version that is, well, this is how it's done. You talk in this accent and you have this cadence and you make these choices. It's the color blue. Yes. Instead yes. of. I, I always, yeah, it's, it sends, it feels always to me when I witness them as um, they're almost in captivity of the language. Yeah. That yeah. there's, that, that either a dramaturg or a director or maybe training has said there is one way. Yeah. And this way you need to hold on tight because if you let go of it, watch out. Yeah. And what it does to an audience is it, I, and I, I feel constricted when I see it. I feel tight and I feel at times worried. Yeah. Because there's, oh, oh, in a way, <laughs> it's interesting. I just had the thought of a brilliant actor, Mark Harlick, um, who I witnessed do a brilliant version of Hotspur in Henry IV, one and two, when I was in grad school. And he, I remember he lost his voice and he said, the character was just past me. He's just beyond me. I, I, I had to lose my voice. He had so much that he had to say, I just, I couldn't support it anymore. <laughs> and I feel like, not that, I mean, Mark is, I would, he was one of those that I actually would sit on the outside of the wings and watch oh, wow. his every single show. And every time I see him, I've, he lives in LA. I've seen uh -huh. him several times. And ever, I always remind him of that. And he waves me off because he's such a humble man. But, yeah. but I do feel like there is these actors that are trying to breathe life to these words because they know there's so much in there. Yeah. And yet there's this compression that's happening. And so it's this sort of really interesting yeah. <laughs> push-pull that I'm that I I desperately as a as a teacher want to go, you know, release the Kraken. Yes. <laughs> no? Yeah. Just let it go. I think the principle that always comes up to me for me in all of my teaching is that we cannot focus on more than one thing at a time. And so if the thing that I'm focusing on is sounding correct, there's going to be an automatic disconnect from myself and the language and then also, therefore, the audience and the language. Yes. I think that's, that's inevitable. So giving my attention to something that feels not just good, but also like in story, something that helps me feel like I am connecting to the language itself and connecting to the why I'm speaking these words mm -hmm. is so much more important than achieving my perception of the necessary prestige yes. of this world. Absolutely. The question that uh, you you got into this a little bit, but the question that spurred, <laughs> so I, spurned is the other word I wanted to say. They both work. Uh, spurred, the reason that you're here was my friend David asking, when you notice actors being in this Shakespeare voice, what are some ways in which you offer helping them find more connection to their authentic voice. 
Hmm, that's a really, really great question. Hmm, 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 hmm. Well, usually what I first do is um, actually I, I say amplify that. Ooh, yes, I love do more, do more, do more. Can you go yeah. even further? And what happens is because the rhythm is automatically, you're saying yes and. Uh-huh, yep. So you get to have a full, uh, and it's very hard then to go back to that yeah. um, in, the, in the actual experience. I mean, sometimes the next time through, but I find that that can be really helpful if if you notice that you have any sort of that whatever, impulse, that impulse yeah. to over enunciate yep. and over commit, um, also physically as well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah can yeah. be super super helpful. Yep. I will then, if it sounds to me that they are more interested in the sounds, yeah, I will then start to isolate and expand upon that. If that's the channel that they're, ooh, you love the way that that word. Yeah, can we? Let's just pick up from this point and let's and it's usually not the beginning i usually will start midway or three quarters of the way so that we're not beginning middle and end just yeah. to play around with sound and i'll i'll start to explore what specific words they're interested in yeah in terms of the, the in this character so what might bubble up is a certain word or two or three after just reading two or three sentences and then we'll unpack that word and then what i'll do is i'll really deconstruct that words so they just get stretched out into whatever and then we'll put it back together yeah. so it's a way of saying yes and and then in terms of asking the why i need for them to first know where they're i love saying this word i the why behind this character diving into this rather than me saying that's an operative word yes we need to hear this in comparison to this because then as a dutiful student their eye is immediately going to go to this and this so it may be words that aren't and I'm happy to to do that, to just explore. It may um, be that. words that aren't the operative. Absolutely. Word. Yeah. yeah. That that could be just helpful in terms of reorienting to oh, I love saying, I love in, enjoying this. And oftentimes what softens because of that is the over yeah. working of this apparatus, the neck up. Yeah. And it starts to become a little bit more into the belly and into the yeah. the toes and the knees. And so we'll oftentimes immediately go down to the floor and in terms of destructuring, in terms of that. Um, the other thing that I will do is if they are someone who are have a musical background, Ooh, yeah, yeah. I will start to play around in terms of scansion, but I won't describe it as scansion. I'll just describe it as Shakespeare's like jazz. And so let's start to play around physically with the movement of where you feel. Yeah. And where does it break? So that there's all of these ways that we can start to reorient and to get out of the one and into other things that may get more into the body. Because that's really, I'm, I'm super interested in it becoming a little bit more primal yeah. than purely meaning. Yeah. Because we can get really trapped in that channel and it becomes, I think that's also where that Shakespeare voice can come into yeah. is I need to make sure that everyone understands everything that I'm saying. And it becomes, yes, we understand everything you're saying, but I'm not feeling yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. And I'm not really hearing what you're saying. Yes. And so the more that we can 
offer different ways into the text rather than just the speech. I find, and then I find that to be super helpful. And then the last thing that I'll do, and it comes from presence work, I'll find out where comfort is, where discomfort is, where they feel resistance. Yeah. And, and usually from that narration, usually from that, there's so many parallels to start to orient their awareness of their body into, into language. So those are some three quick things that I, that I can do just that, and depending on where the person is that I can do to offer to just not negate, but soften that channel a little bit, almost, you know, turning it down to a one, Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) not saying let's let go. And then bringing some other ones up to a seven or eight so that they can picture in picture on this channel. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and again, it just makes me. I'm. I'm. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but it again is just such a reminder of why it's so important to have a process-oriented exploration of things. Because you could again just go, "You're doing a voice. You're doing a voice, and when you do that voice, it makes you seem like unlikable, or it makes it seem like you're trying too hard, or whatever." You could just tell them directly what's happening. And some people, depending on their training and their background, if if you were told, hey, Scott, you're doing a voice, you probably would have the abilities and the skill set to go, ooh, I need to reconnect to yeah. my jazz or what, yeah, whatever it exactly, is, right? Yeah. But for most students, for most people that are working, finding your way in through many channels that word you're using uh, that I love is going to give us results that I think are so much more rich and going to be able to transfer across your work instead of going straight to just fix the problem by possibly even creating another problem. Yes. And, and what that does is in a way where if I were to offer the result is again, offering another thing to hold on to that isn't ultimately what we want to see when we see Shakespeare, when we see theater, we want to see someone struggling. Yeah. We want to see, we want to feel that's why they, that's why we, they were facing the audience. That's why we were asking the audience to go, I don't know what I'm going to do next. Will you help me? Yeah. Will you witness me in this chaos? Yeah. And being in the, that state of process and having moments of success and having moments of failure and, and being seen in that place is Shakespeare. Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> where you want to be. Yeah. And so if I'm always, I always like to remind people, if you're in that place of, okay, everything feels good and easy, that's probably not a good orientation in terms of these words in this language, because oh, yeah. something is going on so deeply in my body that I have to voice it to the world. Ooh, yeah. And so if I'm comfortable, so comfortable that I can just let this kind of fall out. Yeah. And it's just, you know, tripping along. <laughs> yeah. The need behind it, the need to be heard, the need to, and the struggle behind that is, is something that we as human beings and as students, boy, it's really hard to feel like uncertain but if you voice the uncertainty, 
if you live in fully in that uncertainty, there's moments of, I don't know, that's when I see the most beautiful colors. Yeah. And that's when I have the most connection to someone else is when I let them see me in that place. Yeah. And I actually voice it, not just, you know, in a puddle weeping, but actually say, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do next. And you imagine like we were with a friend and a friend says, what do you think? I mean, I'm always in awe in those moments. Yeah. Because that person is so connected to their need and so connected to me that I feel the space to say, well, let me hang out with you in this for a moment. Yeah. Or, or this is what I'm feeling or this is what I'm thinking. And those precious moments are available all the time in these words. It's vulnerability. Yeah. And whether that vulnerability is uh, a feeling of rawness or uh, that need you're talking about, I'm becoming very large in my body, <laughs> but yeah, that vulnerability to go, yeah, I'm going to express this feeling outward rather than keeping it inward. Yeah. Indeed. Well, I think this is a great place to to wrap up. Do you, is there anything you want to share? What do you have coming up? This workshop? Yes, I'm, I'm, yeah. doing, I'm, doing a, <laughs> I'm doing a workshop in, I believe it's the third week in September with a brilliant Alexander Technique teacher named Brett Hershey. And he's yes, he's great. Amazing. You're it's, both great. So we're doing an <laughs> intro to um, Alexander Technique and an intro to Fitzmorris. And then we're also doing a um, relaxation and actor anxiety. Such a such a useful and necessary yeah. How to deal for with actors to to work on deal yeah. with deal with that charge yeah. and how do I work with it yes. and be with it and um and and with Alexander how do I express that in my body and how can I find adjustments yeah. um along the way so so yeah those are the two um but I will would love to uh to to share those dates when yeah. I have them exact yeah absolutely we'll we'll make sure to include yeah. that in the show notes brilliant yes brilliant brilliant thank you so much thank you so much are you you're not on social media really are you i <laughs> just started actually okay. um i will be on september because i'm not officially certified september uh -huh. 1st uh-huh we're getting a oh that's right yes so yes, i yes, can't yes. really have an announcement but i'm i'm actually going to be starting a website and Instagram and all of that things. So Cute. I will have, yeah, it's called voice and presence and nice. I will share that, that link as well when that is up and which will be set, September 1st is the launch I, on that. Yeah. I think we'll, this will be a little bit early just before that comes out. So we'll, it'll be ready to go. Be ready to go. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Scott. This was so great. I'm so grateful for you sharing your experience, but also that your approach is so, I mean, this as a compliment, not prestigious, <laughs> <laughs> that your approach is really, no, literally everything is allowed Yes. instead of this. These are the people that are allowed. This is the way of doing it. That's supposed to happen. It's yes. Yes. And yes. And it's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was Scott Ferrara. 
Be sure to check out voiceandspeechwithryan.com slash podcast to find show notes with the links where you can find more information on the people and topics and workshops we discussed, including info on where to follow Scott and information on an upcoming voice class that I'll be teaching in Los Angeles, plus some workshops that Scott will be teaching in LA as well. If you like what you heard, please share this podcast and let me know what questions you have about your voice, speech, or presence. You can contact me at voiceandspeechwithryan.com. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.